Welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you ace your exams at school and university through the psychology of high performance and the science of studying smarter, not harder. It's my pleasure to introduce your host, the Cambridge-trained memory psychologist and exam success coach, William Wadsworth. Hello and welcome to November 2020 here on the Exam Study Expert podcast. I'm provisionally calling it Grovember because I'm going to be dedicating the next two or three weeks to inspiring you about the next chapter in your studies and helping you figure out how to get there. This week, I'm starting with the how to get there. In particular, talking about how to shine in interviews for school and universities. I'm going to be thinking in particular about interviews for places at university or college, but much of the advice I'm about to share is going to be helpful even if you're a younger student interviewing for competitive schools, and also for older students applying for postgraduate programmes or even jobs. I'm going to be walking you through my four P's of interview technique. That's pitch, prepare, practice and post. Actually, the last one is really signpost, so I'm kind of shoehorning it in as a fourth P. But anyway, it's massively helpful and makes you sound like a genius. So I'm absolutely including it in the four P's. Together, the four P's of interview technique should give you the best chance of shining in your interviews and landing a coveted place at your institution of choice. Let's dive right in and start with number one, pitch. By pitch, I'm actually referring to the pitch of the voice itself. And this is a technique I learned from a chap called Roger Love, who's one of Hollywood's best kept secrets uh, and is a bit of a voice coach to the stars of the red carpet. Now, before I explain this one, I want to get a misconception out of the way. When it comes to interviews for university, say, it really doesn't matter if you're quiet or introverted. Interviewers aren't looking for boisterous, outgoing, overconfident candidates. Though, of course, if that's who you are, no worries, stay true and don't hide it. For most courses, interviewers simply won't mind if you come across as shy and quiet. And that's simply because some of their best students come across as shy and quiet. I don't want you to think I'm about to train you out of your natural demeanour. I'm absolutely not. 100% be yourself. But I want to teach you a little technique that helps you project just a little extra warmth and confidence that helps you come across well. Most importantly, makes you seem eminently teachable. I want the interviewer sitting opposite you to look at you and think, well, there's a good contributor to a small group supervision or tutor group discussion or seminar. And that impression comes partly in the content of what you say, but it's even better if you can back that content up by projecting just a little extra warmth and confidence in your voice. And a great way to achieve that warmth and confidence is by paying some attention to your voice itself. And by the way, that counts double if you're interviewing over a video call rather than in person. So how do you do that? Let me explain through music. In music, The word pitch refers to how high or low a note is. Here's a low pitch. Here's a high pitch. Here's a pitch that's somewhere in the middle. Um, If you've ever wondered what makes a speaking voice interesting to listen to, it's at least partly due to the variety of different pitches in the voice. 
And once you tune into this, you'll notice, actually, a lot of people go around talking in a monotone, constantly hitting the same pitch over and over again, which is okay for a few words, but as it goes on, it gets increasingly hard to tune into and you'll start to lose focus because there's not much interesting going on in the pitch, even if the content is really good. And if I were to play the speech back on a piano, I'd only need one note, da 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 So the monotone's not ideal. Less common, but still a little bit boring, is speaking in two tones. So you're on a monotone for a lot of the time, and then sometimes you flip up to a higher pitch when things get a bit exciting before falling back to the primary pitch. It's a little bit better, but still not engaging as it could be. So when you're talking, uh, Roger Love says to aim to use the full width of the keyboard, and he calls it melody. And it's absolutely with anyone's gift to add a little melody to the voice even if you're naturally a little shy or quiet. Now, of course, don't go overboard. There's a thing as too much melody. Too much melody like this, which just sounds completely ridiculous. Some people sound like this naturally, in which case that's fine. But if this isn't naturally you, don't fake it. You'll sound wild and completely crazy. (laughs) So a good way to practice this is by reading a passage of text. And I'd say, why not choose some text you have to learn anyway and get a little extra bang for your buck in the time you're about to spend on this exercise? So record that text uh, four different times. First, speaking it in a monotone, da-da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da-da. Then adding a little melody, blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah-blah. Then a lot of melody. And then a ridiculous amount of melody, which sounds extravagant and over the top. Listen back and see which version you prefer. Keep practising, and you might soon find it's quite natural to inject just a little extra melody into your voice, particularly if you noticed that previously you had a bit of a monotone habit. And again, look, this isn't about putting on some kind of persona or pretending to be something you're not. It's simply just about presenting your voice in a way that makes your content nice to listen to, in the same way as you might be putting on a good shirt and jacket for the interview so that you're smart to look at. It's just about creating the best possible impressions so that that lets your substance and quality as a candidate shine through as authentically and fully as possible. So that's pitch. My second P is preparation. Now, it's a bit of an old chestnut, but it's a good one. Prepare. When I was talking about the pitch of your voice, that's a pretty advanced technique. I wanted to start by mentioning it frankly because it's a bit interesting, and chances are you probably haven't heard it before. But its importance to your overall interview performance pales into insignificance compared to the actual substance of what you say. If pitch is the cherry on the cake, then the substance of what you're saying is the cake itself. And the only way to work on the substance of what you have to say is through your preparation. So what exactly should you be thinking about in your prep? Well, I say it probably splits into three main pillars. You want to think about you as a candidate, think about the institution you're applying to, and think about the course you want to take. When thinking about that first pillar, you as a candidate, what I'm really thinking about are your interests in your chosen course and your strengths as a candidate. Now, I really don't want you to rope memorise responses, but I would suggest spending just a little time thinking about key points you might want to bring up for very common questions like, why do you want to study this course? Or why do you think you'll make a good doctor or lawyer or chemist or historian or whatever? 
It's also worth checking over any written application material you've already submitted. In particular, uh, if you submitted, say, a UCAS personal statement for British universities and you said you'd read a particular book in the statement, make sure you can remember some talking points about the book to avoid any potential embarrassment if you're asked about it in your interview. So that's you as a candidate. As far as the second pillar, your chosen institution is concerned, you're very likely to be asked, well, why do you want to study here? You want to have some thoughts. Again, don't rote memorise an answer, but try to have a couple of talking points up your sleeve so you know you've got something sensible to say. For the question about why you want to study at that particular institution, for example, think about what that university or college is best known for, and is there any research that they do that you're particularly interested in? And by the way, if your answer has been predominantly driven by uh, the non-academic appeal of that institution, I don't know, maybe you're super keen on the insane swim team and uh, pool training facilities at that university, then my advice would be to do some research and include at least an academic component to your answer about why you want to go there, as well as talking about the swim team and the pool. Uh, My third pillar of preparation is making sure you're familiar with the course you're hoping to study. So look into the different modules that are offered, and if there's a choice, try to at least have some ideas of what you might choose. Hopefully you're at least a little bit excited about what you're going to be studying in your course, so it's hopefully a bit of a fun exercise to research and have a little plan about what options you might fancy. You normally don't need to have a final answer at this stage, far from it, but it's helpful to have at least a few ideas. Whatever you do, don't do what one candidate did with me in a mock interview and tell me that they're excited about studying forensic psychology when it wasn't even offered as an option on the course they were studying. Uh, It's a a pretty quick way to make a bad impression uh, because it shows you haven't done your homework and it suggests to the interviewer that you're not a good fit for that course because they can't offer you what it is you want to study. It's also well worth brushing up on the subjects you're currently studying at school or or wherever you are at the moment before walking into an interview. Interviewers will be asking you to demonstrate some subject knowledge and they want to see how you think. They're certainly not out to trip you up, but a pretty fair and therefore popular way to assess how you're getting on, as well as just looking at your past exam results, is by asking you some questions based on the topics you're studying at the moment. So have a look over your books and maybe do a little bit of extra study or revision just to brush up on on recent content you've learned. So we've talked about pitch, we've talked about how to prepare. Now it's time to talk about my third P and put this all into practice. Yes, the third P is practice. They say it makes perfect and I'd agree. No matter how much prep you do, I don't think there's any substitute for doing live interview practice, live mock interviews. And for best results, don't only get a friend or your mum to do it. (laughs) It can be helpful to get friends or or family to, to, to give you practice interviews, but I really think you need at least some interview practice outside your comfort zone so that you can get used to thinking clearly when you're a bit nervous with someone who's unfamiliar, as you will be on the day itself. For me, when I was applying to a science course, that meant getting a practice interviewer from the formidable combination that was presented by my school head of biology and the head of chemistry together. And the practice interview they gave me is pretty well burned on my memory to this day. It was in the smallest chemistry lab at school. Uh, I think it was in the morning before the school day. And I'd done pretty well until they asked me why I wanted to study natural sciences at Cambridge. My answer was, at best, mediocre. 
Things got worse when they asked me why I wanted to go to Christ's College. And that was the college I'd picked within Cambridge's collegiate system. Now, why Christ's? I had absolutely no idea what to say. Actually, the main reasons between you and me were that it had a decent choir and it had quite nice, pretty sort of old style architecture. But I didn't feel I could exactly say that. So I sat in a slightly stunned silence for what seemed about half an hour uh, before mumbling something about needing to go and do some more research. It was embarrassing to say the least, but it taught me valuable lessons about the holes in my preparation and also about how to think on my feet when I was under pressure and a bit stressed. So by the time the real interview came, I was ready and I did fine. If you don't have any obliging teachers at your school or you need some extra practice on top of that, then strangers who know what they're doing can also be a great source of interview practice. And that, by the way, includes me. I'm I'm always very happy to offer mock university interviews uh, to students of any course, any university. And what I'll do is give you some general interview practice based on common questions uh, that are asked across lots of different courses. And I'll give you some coaching on particular tools if you need them, like vocal pitch and melody, which you talked about, and also how to structure your answers. And maybe troubleshoot any particular issues for you, like stress or nerves and anxiety, how to keep a clear head under pressure, and ultimately set you up so that you can solve tricky problems or comment intelligently on any material that's put in front of you on the day. And if you're applying to a science or business course, I'll be able to go a little further and use some of my subject-specific knowledge to put you through your paces on the potential content of the course that might come up in the interview. So if you'd like to book a mock interview, with me, just head to examstudyexpert.com forward slash mock, M-O-C-K. And with that, we're on to the final P. And I'm cheating slightly here because the thing I really want to talk about is signposting. But, you know, you can kind of abbreviate it to posting. So I'm tenuously squeezing signposting in as the fourth P. The whole point of signposting is taking advantage of people's love of story. Research has shown that our minds wander up to half the time. It's amazing, really. No no matter what we're doing, where we are or who we're with, the mind is constantly wandering off. The notable exception is actually if you're engrossed in a really good story. So if you're sitting watching a great film and you're really wrapped up in the action, your mind will hardly be wandering at all. The same goes if you're absorbed in a great book. So what if you could create engrossing stories in your interview answers? Well, you can. And I don't need you to become Hollywood actors reeling off witty anecdotes and repartee in your answers. There's a simpler way to create a story, almost deceptively simple, and I call it signposting. Signposting is simply giving your listener a map for your speech, telling them exactly where you'll be going and then guiding them along the way. For example, telling them that there are three points and then numbering off each point as you get to it. First, second, third. Once you become aware of this trick, you'll probably notice me signposting all the time, particularly when I'm doing solo podcast episodes. Today, we've had the four P's of interview technique, pitch, preparation, practice and signposting. That's the map we've been following through this whole conversation. And then even within preparation, I said there were three pillars to think about when you're doing your preparation. You as a candidate, the institution you're applying to, and the course you're applying for. As I got to each pillar, I told you which one we were on. 
All of that, I hope, makes it much easier to follow what I'm saying versus if I just rattle off a random stream of consciousness without any signposts, without showing you where I was in the story. So how can you apply this technique to a university interview? Well, for an interview answer, it could be something like this. So, William, why do you want to apply to Harvard? I'd say, well, I think there's three main reasons. First, I've been reading about genetic astrobiology and its implication for the future of colonising Mars. And I'd be fascinated to learn more about this topic from Professor Ziglar himself. Second, I'm excited to learn alongside lots of like-minded students from all around the world, which I think would expose me to lots of new ways of thinking and really push me to achieve my best. And finally, I'm a keen Tiddlywinks player. And I know that Harvard has an excellent new Tiddlywinks arena, which I'd be very excited to train in. You see what I said? I said three main reasons, and then I numbered them off. First, uh, Professor Ziglar. Second, uh, learning with lots of like-minded students from around the world. And third, tiddlywinks. When you give the signposting, it all becomes so much clearer because you're telling the interviewer a story. The moment you say, there are three things, I'm then listening out for those three things coming up. You've successfully piqued my curiosity, and I can barely help myself but to tune in to hear what the three things are. Now, there's always a slight risk that signposting can come across as just a little bit robotic or mechanical if you do it too much. So be sure not to overuse it. I normally advise doing it explicitly for maybe a couple of key questions in a given interview, and try not to do too much more than that. It can work really nicely for questions where you've prepared some talking points, like the example of why do you want to come and study at this university? But massive bonus points if you can develop the art of doing this for questions you cannot possibly have prepared for. For example, if you've, I don't know, been asked for your views on a novel problem or an unseen text. It takes a bit of practice to be able to do signposting well off the cuff, but it can be trained. And if you can master it, it makes you sound like a towering genius. Again, if you'd like to practice your signposting, or really any other aspect of your university performance, head to examstudyexpert.com forward slash M-O-C-K, mock, where you can book a 90-minute session that includes a full-length mock interview, followed by an in-depth debrief session uh, and some coaching afterwards, all designed to help you polish up your performance and shine as brightly as possible on interview day and give yourself the best possible chance of success and getting in to the university of your dreams. So that's examstudyexpert.com forward slash mock. Next week, we're going a step further and talking about how to apply for jobs, which is ideal if you're in your final year of study and planning your next move, especially in this uncertain climate. But I think you'll find the advice helpful if you're not quite at the stage of applying for your first full-time job. For example, if you're applying for summer internships or maybe part-time jobs. Our guest is career coach and former HR director Sonal Ball, who has reviewed an estimated quarter of a million CVs over her career, and as a job applicant herself, managed to land two prestigious job offers in the midst of the last Great Recession. So she knows a thing or two about how to land a job offer in a difficult times, as a graduate or otherwise. And after that, looking ahead a little further, I'm going to be sharing a short series of episodes throughout November, or Grovember, giving you an idea of what to expect and how to succeed in applications for a range of different university level courses, from business to chemistry. In the meantime, wishing you every success in your studies 
and any applications and interviews you're facing soon. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Wasn't that wonderful? If you're feeling inspired, why not leave us a rating and a review in your podcast app? It would make our day. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.